2: Covering cricket across Australia and right around the globe.
1: This is Stuffs with Bryce McGain and Jordan Cornelis.
2: everyone, welcome along to another edition of Stumps, your dedicated cricket show. My name is Damian Watson, filling in for Jordan Kanellis this week, who has A-League commitments. And there's a multitude of cricketing angles to focus on as we're in the midst of an intriguing Trans-Tasman Test Series between Australia and New Zealand, while the men's Big Bash is on the precipice of yet another season, while we also reflect on a very successful women's Big Bash tournament following the final last weekend, the Brisbane Heat going back-to-back. I'm joined by the great man in former Australian, Victorian, Mark Essex and Adelaide Strikers cricketer Bryce McGain. How are you going,
3: I'm going great, Damien, the great man. I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, certainly did get to, uh, well, I was lucky enough in my cricket and uh, early on it it didn't look likely that I'd be travelling the world with it, but uh, it was was actually in year 12 I went on a school trip overseas to England and it was before it's trendy, basically every school goes overseas now. But I had the opportunity to do that, and I thought, how good's this? Cricket can take you around the world, and I'm not even the best player. Like, this is going to be great. And I suppose uh, later on I had the opportunity to head back and all those things that you mentioned, yeah, play around the world. It was great.
2: There you go. Not too many people playing for both Australia and Denmark in their careers, so that's something you could – Take a hold of?
3: Not too many In fact, I'm the only one So, yeah (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Yeah, uh, exactly that I happen to be over there Coaching and uh, And and playing cricket uh, Yeah, in the early 2000s And and really enjoyed that And had an opportunity To play for Denmark You know, they used to play In the uh, they called it a Cheltenham and Gloucester Cup in the UK. So Denmark. I went over and played a couple of games uh, for them as the overseas professional. You could you were allowed to have an overseas pro. So that's how I did it. Have no ties to Denmark, have no family <laughs> ties or anything, no hidden passport in the bottom drawer or anything like that. It's uh, yeah purely just as the overseas player.
2: I was thinking you might have a connection to the Royal family over there given there's that Australia and Denmark tie. But
3: There is indeed I'm... and at the time uh, everything Australian over there was incredibly popular because of the Royal family and that um obviously uh, the the well princess she uh, married into the uh, into the royal family, so uh, that, that that changed things a lot they They love the australian connection the the danes
2: indeed so let 's head to royalty of another kind. Australian cricketing royalty seems to be on display once again against New Zealand in the first Test match in Perth, currently, as we go to air New Zealand eight for one hundred and sixty two in their first innings, trailing by two hundred and fifty four runs. And already the signs are ominous, Bryce, for the Kiwis.
3: Yeah, they are indeed. And I said it last week on Stumps as well. The challenge is going to be them coming to such foreign conditions from where they have played their last two tests. They were in great form against England and they did exceptionally well but they're really slow wickets. They are slow, slow wickets in New Zealand. So transferring that right across to 40 degrees every day, uh, it's nearly 50 degrees out the middle of the pitch at the moment, and it is an absolute furnace, but a bouncy, fast, Pitch and it was going to be the biggest challenge that they could ever have was the conditions uh, around where they are coming from and where they are going to play with not even a warm up game in between. So that was going to be the real challenge for them. So, and I think they're just finding that now. There's, there's been a lot of fight with their bowling. Uh, particularly, they were bowled bowler down. But I was so impressed with Wagner, really impressed with Southie. They bowled tons of overs. They were aggressive. They basically shut down Steve Smith for the best part of three hours, and that no team in the world's been able to do that. Mm. So there's a lot to like about New Zealand. It's probably the best test lineup they've ever had, and it's as strong as they have ever been. They're number two in the world. There's a lot of things to like, but I think at the moment, just with the bat in those conditions, going to be difficult. I reckon it's going to be a different story when, when they come to the Boxing Day test at the MCG. That'll suit them. And Sydney, Well, they're really going to like that. So if they can just hang on into this test match, and that's what they're renowned for. Often we've seen over in recent years, they just find a way to hang on. Like they mm. might be in this position, they seem miles behind. But they just seem to bat and bat and just block out balls and wear down bowlers. And that's going to be another thing, of course, uh, with the Hazardwood injury.
2: That's right. And just speaking of that injury, given you have a significant amount of experience as a bowler, obviously a different type of bowling or style of bowling to Josh Hazelwood. What would be going through his mind at the moment? And also, based on the recent reports that we have, because of the short turnaround, it's unlikely he's going to be back in time for the third and final test of the series in Sydney from a realistic perspective and your experience in cricket, how long will it take for him to be 100%
3: right again? Yeah, look, he's, he's comfortably pushing out to four to six weeks and bowling fast is a bit different to just uh, walking around the... You know walking around the garden or something like That which uh, you know us Joe Averages Do he's charging in at you know As hard as he can and putting a lot of weight And extra weight through that front leg Uh, That's that's where The injury is on that left hamstring So look he's going to be out for all the test Series there's no doubt about it but the the Compounding effect that happens there is Not only the injury to Hazelwood And that's a shame and that's a a, an asset Out of our best bowling attack that He can be replaced coming forward but It's the extra bowling that the players like like Cummins, like Stark, mm-hmm. will need to do in this test match. In they have to bowl another innings line as well, so it's going to spike the workload of the other quick bowlers um, because he won't be able to bowl in this test. So that has a compounding effect. So when we yeah. get to when we get to Melbourne, when we get to Sydney, those guys it does take its toll over the period of time. So. It is a bit of a challenge. It's a setback, setback for Australia, and and, uh, they certainly need to overcome it. So they'll be looking to take wickets over there, not be out there bowling as as many overs as, uh, well, certainly what New Zealand would hope that they do.
2: Indeed. Our guests tonight on the Stumps program will be Lockie Stevens, the assistant coach of the Melbourne Renegades, and of course David Hemp, the coach of the Melbourne Stars WBBL team. And it'll be interesting to get his take on women's cricket and the state of that particular asset to the Australian sporting landscape with the T20 World Cup on the horizon here in Australia. Just as we continue on this tact of the Australia v New Zealand Trans-Tasman Series, you mentioned before that this is the best New Zealand side ever that you've seen. Do you I think believe,
0: so. Do you yeah. believe
2: even more than the class of 85? I know a lot of other former players have said the same thing. Jeff Lawson, Kim Hughes have come out and said it's even better than the class of 85 where Richard Hadley was dominating. Do you believe that's that's the case with the current crew?
3: Yeah, I do. And I, I think it has to do with their, their attack. They've got a left armour. They've got, uh, again, a spin option that's... that. Looks pretty innocuous with, with Satna, But uh, what he's able to do is, is control the game He can change his pace He's a he's a very mi- much like his mentor in Dan Vittori Where he changes the pace But he's immaculate in the length he hits So he's, it's, it's hard to get after him mm. And that, that's a difficult length for for all players to face So he changes his pace He changes his angles He doesn't get enormous spin He doesn't spin it another way But it's all the subtleties of what he does uh, And there's every chance When they come back to, to Melbourne and Sydney. That um, Trent Bolt will come into that lineup as well. He was a whisker away from playing this this test. Yeah. So if he comes in, then uh, then then it, that certainly strengthens their bowling lineup, uh, and, and their batting. Well, we're seeing with Taylor and Williamson, they look to be taking the game away. We had them two for two, and then th- they put on this partnership. Yeah. And I thought, oh, here we go. They're settling right in, but. I love night cricket, day night cricket, and the pink ball test because of that evening session changes so much. The game can really shift and and move. You've got to bat really well to get through that, and New Zealand looked like they were going to, and then they stumbled at the end.
2: I think that was a turning point last night. The partnership was looking very good between the skipper, Kane Williamson, and, of course, Taylor. They seemed to be in their element, and then you saw that great one-hander from Steve Smith, one of the best catchers of recent times. Wasn't that a ripper? That changed the complexion. Where does that stand and rank... In terms of great slip catches that you've seen,
3: oh, that that is absolutely up there. I remember Ricky Ponting taking a similar New one. Zealand, yeah, dive in, and I think yeah. that was at the Adelaide Oval. Yes. Real low one. That that was a beauty, but. Uh, I always go back to when I was a kid and seen Alan Border go horizontal uh, up at the Gabba, and it was uh, it was a left-handed batting. I don't know who it was, but he he stretched it. He went two hands, and he had to. He go, I'm not going to reach it, and just his his top hand, his left hand, I think it was, just extended that bit further as he reached out and took it. I, that still sits with me as the most amazing slips catch by Alan Border. It was incredible, but it, this one's a belter. Oh. This is a good one. He kicked the heels up nicely too and arched the back. <laughs> he did everything. I think it's uh, right up there with a 10 out of 10.
2: No doubt about that. Mark War was an absolute specialist with his slips catching, of course, as well. Great reflexes. You mentioned day-night cricket and the pink ball. What are your thoughts on it? Generally and holistically, I spoke to Matt Sinclair on another radio program, a former New Zealand player. Yep. He doesn't like the pink ball, or the day-night concept.
3: Well, that's a pretty boring approach. <laughs> <we>? <laughs> Times have changed, and, and we need to uh, we need to bring it to the prime time. I love the Test cricket's played. I think it just has this dynamic and uh, under lights in whites. And I know it's pink; it's not quite red. I, I get there's a few differences to that, and it does change the com- the complex of the game. But that then becomes a strategy. Uh, in in the game itself that you can declare or you want to hang on and bat for that period Mm. and then bowl at the night period. I think that's just a really good strategy and uh, I I think it makes it refreshing. I think it's a really nice way that people, it brings test cricket to the lounge room and and really I think it's promoting the game in a real positive light and it's bringing it to when people are available to watch it. It's difficult. Today's, um, I guess, community and society it's very difficult to get a full day away mm. to go and watch Test cricket and that's the difficulty there's there's a lot of empty stands but when it is in the evening and uh, uh, you know attracting people like that I, I think it's a winner
2: I'm with you there, and you mentioned the tactics before and how it affects them. How have you seen Tim Payne's tactics and his approach to the day-night test matches, given that he seems to still cop a bit of criticism generally by the Australian public? I don't know why he's so maligned, but maybe it's because of the reviews and everything like that. But just in general, I thought he was quite smart Back in the second test against Pakistan and Adelaide, and again in this first test against New Zealand, in terms of ensuring that his bowlers have the twilight and the night session to show their wares.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and we saw in in, in the shadowing across this ground, like it's like a zebra crossing. So yeah. there's there's light and dark, and light and dark, and that 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 makes it incredibly difficult to bat, and that that's. That's a big advantage, and they know when it, when it's the, the tough time to bat that they take that into calculation. And I think for that, uh, Tim Payne, and they've probably all had a look at it, and the batsmen know, well, when's the toughest time to bat? Well, it's now we want to be bowling, so let's make sure we do that. And in enforcing that follow-on, I think that's your, your point from that second test against Pakistan. He, he pulled the right string. They wanted to be bowling when it's the toughest time rather than putting his batsmen under pressure up. Oh, I think he's pulling good strings there.
2: Yeah, And just lastly, Bryce, before we head to a break, the conditions, 40 degrees, virtually oh. four days straight. I'm sure you've played cricket at a high level in some belting conditions in terms of the high temperatures. Were you playing around Black Saturday? Around Absolutely. I was playing
3: a Shield game at the MCG, oh. and and it felt like, uh, and a number of the players said, it felt like, felt like we had a patio heater above our own heads. Oh. We ran around. It was absolutely boiling and there were so many people listening now that played cricket on that day and the smoke yeah. and the haze and, and and all of those things that was blowing down that strong northerly coming from all the bushfires and it, you know it was an incredibly sad day of course um in uh, well the history of australia absolutely. it was a very very sad day but uh, in playing cricket in those extreme conditions yeah an absolute furnace and these players you know, they need to be congratulated. that They're out there yeah. for four days straight, over 40 degrees. In the middle, it's way hotter than that. Uh, so, look, uh, I guess their health needs to be a consideration, but there's plenty of extra drinks breaks and things like that, and they're not enforcing the uh, the overrate too aggressively, but they do need their breaks. it's It's very, very challenging.
2: You're listening to Stumps here, your dedicated cricket show, Damian Watson and, of course, the great Bryce McGame with you talking all things cricket. We'll be back on the other side with more discussion. Welcome back. You're listening to Stumps here, your dedicated cricket show, Damian Watson and Bryce McGain. Well, Bryce, just currently New Zealand 9 for 166 in their first innings, trailing by 250 runs. So certainly looking more and more bleak for the Kiwis in Perth. Let's turn our attention to other elements of international cricket and the Pakistanis currently taking on Sri Lanka. The first test series to be held At home for Pakistan in 10 years, ironically against Sri Lanka, and we all know about the incident which precipitated that long drought in terms of hosting Test cricket in that country. Sri Lanka currently six for 282, ironically. The Test match has been hampered by rain delays and wet outfields, not something you usually associate with Pakistan.
3: Not at all. Usually you think Pakistan is dry as a biscuit and the, the wicket's are more like the surface on Mars and just just barren and, and all of that, but there has been a lot of rain around. So um, Sri Lanka, brave move by them and uh, to be the first team to go back because of obviously the history and how that affected so many people. Um of course, their bus getting uh, a terrorist attack on their team bus on the way to the ground and um, people being shot at and um, hand grenades being thrown that didn't detonate and rocket launchers being launched into a bus. It, devastating circumstances. But for them to go back in there and, and kick off test cricket once again in Pakistan, I think a really brave move and, and good for world cricket.
2: No doubt about that. And they love their cricket in Pakistan, don't they? The public absolutely adore it. Do you think Australia in the near future, maybe in four or five years' time, will play a series over there in Pakistan?
3: I think eventually Yes And uh, There will probably For Australia To do that A long record Of uh, of, of safe environments yeah. And uh, And trusting The security I think that's where A number of the hurdles Had been around Just trusting That uh, what They were saying Was right And how they would Secure the safety Of the The, the players the, the support staff But the families as well That That's an important uh, Consideration When Australia goes on tour So All that will need to be in place And I think they want to see a bit of of a history of that, but uh, I, I think it would be terrific. What an experience, you know, for cricket in you know, subcontinental cricket. It's just uh, riveting to watch, I think, uh, watching test cricket in India, um, the different surfaces and how things are played, the crowds, the enthusiasm, the love for the game, all those things. You, you just can't beat it, and it's another another way that world cricket can be beamed into our, our lounge room, and uh, I, I think it's really exciting, so I do hope it's sooner rather than later.
2: Indeed. Of course, Australia would have very good Memories and fond memories of heading over to Pakistan, Damien Flemming's hat-trick, of course, in 1994, and you have Mark Taylor's 334 not out in 1998, which I think was the last time Australia played over there in Pakistan. Correct. They played in Dubai and Sri Lanka, I think a test series against Pakistan. So. That's right. They've had very different auspices in terms of those Australia v. Pakistan series over the journey. Just incidentally, Bryce, New Zealand bowled out for
3: 166 in their first innings, so it was a quick end to the tale. Yeah, Stark again, wickets. He's taken another five. Uh, He led the team off this time. Uh, The decision will need to be made. They can enforce the follow-on if they wish. I think it'll be highly unlikely. We haven't noted whether they've made a decision just yet about that. But I think uh, that they will want to rest their bowlers. Being a bowler down Hazelwood not bowling, they'll want to give them a rest – and uh and don't want to be batting on that wicket last should new zealand get a little lead because it will deteriorate under the heat it will crack up so i'm pretty sure that they would like to bat for a while bat big get 200 runs up and then lead by 450 and then uh rip into the the, the rest of it so i think that's most likely uh the the way that will they will go but we'll wait and see and wait and see whether um New Zealand will be batting again because they can't enforce that follow-on.
2: Indeed. Damian Watson and Bryce McGain with you on Stumps, your dedicated cricket show. We're going to talk to Lockie Stevens of the Melbourne Renegades an assistant coach there shortly, and also to David Hemp, who is the head coach of the Melbourne Stars women's Big Bash team. Just in relation to the Big Bash tournament itself, season nine getting underway on Tuesday night here in Australia, what are your thoughts holistically about The big bash coming in. The Melbourne Renegades looking to defend their title. But what about the competition as a whole itself? Do you think there's... Greater anticipation compared to previous years, or is it more same old?
3: Well, I think there is. I think the excitement also comes around some of the internationals coming over. AB De Villiers uh, coming in for Brisbane Heat. Uh, Dale Stane coming in for the Stars. Uh, They're not here for every game of the tournament for both those franchises, but Mm. exciting to have them involved. AB De Villiers in the IPL has been absolutely sublime. Every time he plays, he can hit the ball to 360 degrees with power. It'll be really exciting, and I hope he really fires up for them so I think that plays in good stead obviously he'll be up there with Chris Lynn a ripping replacement obviously for McCullum, um, uh, at the at the top of the order belting them around so I, I think that's really exciting I, I think the renegades their recruiting is pretty good Sean Marsh coming over there is uh, quite incredible so um, so that they've got uh, some terrific depth in, uh, in 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 what they're about.
2: No doubt about that. What about the contenders? I know that the Sydney Thunder, for instance, have had a significant amount of turnover with their list. Mm. Who are the contenders for you in terms of the whole competition itself?
3: Well, it's difficult to see it until they start playing some games. It's the because the nature of T20 cricket. Yeah, it? it is. And you see some sides start quickly. They might get a couple of wins. And sure enough, they stumble a little bit as sides really suss out the style that they're going to play and what their players are doing. Uh, one thing for sure that they'll be uh, every team will really be pushing hard they'll be attacking the the power play at the start so they'll be looking to get more and more runs while they can only have two out so what what often happens in that scenario they might have two or three at the top of the order that might go and and, and go hard if if things go wrong usually four comes in and settles things down and five i think teams will throw more Power hitters up early If they lose wickets If they lose three wickets In that power play Often they talk about Oh well if they do that Then they lose the game But they lose the game Because they stop going They stop going hard So I reckon they might Have a couple of others That they throw up And then just let the Batters bat out The next 14 overs yeah. So I think there could be A, a real evolution in, in the in the way that they Play the game This time around With the view to Really attacking Those 36 balls At the beginning Of the innings. And you speak
2: of The evolution of T20 cricket I think when the Big Bash started in its current concept around the early part of the decade. Mm. It was seen to be very much a hit and giggle batsman's competition in a way. It was very much how far can and how hard can the batsman hit the ball rather than a focus on the bowlers per se. I might be a bit unfair in saying that, but that was the approach early on. Now we're starting to see the significance and the importance of bowlers in T twenty cricket at the death and also those full deliveries, the effective spinners as well. Do you think there's a greater appreciation now compared to when the Big Bash started of the significance and impact of bowlers in that format?
3: Yeah, Damien, you're spot on with that and it's about the role that they're playing. You mentioned the death bowlers, you know that's a Specialist role now, but bowlers that can bowl in the power play, spinners that can do both—that yeah. they can bowl at the start, they can bowl in the middle, the attacking over, your big attacking leg spinner who can really go and toss the ball up in over number seven when they spread the field out—that's another option as well. So uh, the the versatility and the development of cricketers, and cricketers love it. Cricketers love learning new things at the top levels and at any level, so that they really thrive in in doing those type of things. We're seeing spin win. We're seeing bowlers, and particularly leg spinners who or or finger spinners who can spin it two ways and bowl into the wicket. That becomes a bit of a challenge. But then your traditional one, you know, the the the, the bowler that um, that that turned the the final for the Renegades, uh, you know, being a leg spinner, float, you know, get, spinning the ball up and all that. Um, his name just escapes me. I'm having a mental block. Um, he did so so particularly well. It'll come to me, um, Cameron Boyce. Uh, you yeah. know, he, he just turned the game. He started getting some wickets. He threw the ball up, and you, you can see the, the the support that the team had. No, you get it up and really rip it. Let's see if we can get some wickets, and and he did. And he turned the game, and then they kept on doing it. And what a final that was too oh, last going out year. In
2: folklore, yeah,
3: absolutely. Two Melbourne teams going at it. Neither of them played in a final, so it was going to be a, a win for 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 well. For, for melbourne sport i suppose and and uh what an exciting game where the stars look like they had it in the bag completely and the renegades never say die and and came back and and knocked them off so look it's an exciting time i really love summer and having it on in the background all the way through yeah. but let's not jump too far ahead we've got a couple of important test matches and i'm loving the loving the new zealand test match they haven't been out here for a long long time at this time of year and playing at boxing day it's uh cricket is really thriving at the moment and it's an exciting time to be following it
2: well just before we do head to the break and we'll have Lachlan Stevens, the Melbourne Renegades assistant coach joining us on the big bash you mentioned before it's been a long time since New Zealand have played a boxing day test do you remember vividly the last time which was in 1987 when Mike Whitney had to outlast Richard Hadley in that final over to effectively win the series I think and he had to ensure he didn't give away his wicket. That's right.
3: Yeah, that's the thing. And Mike Whitney did did more than just blocking out a draw and getting excited. He he invented the fist pump. So the yes. fist pump then became part of cricket folklore around the world. It went everywhere. He was pumping his fist like, I did it. We scored a draw and I just blocked <laughs> the ball. It was quite amazing. Um, but but it was an in, incredible series. Uh, and... You know, they're they're the type of memories, and those memories are going to be created again, I think, this Boxing Day test. I think it's going to be an absolute ripper, and it's one not to miss, and for the Melbourne public to get right behind it. uh, What I do know, the pitch will be fine. No issue with that. Okay. The, the, the pitch, they had some concerns. They wanted to see how far they can put some moisture into it. They'd worked it out the, the previous two Shield games that had some ripping pitches against Queensland when Victoria played Queensland yeah. and then New South Wales. The game went right down to the wire. It was it was a terrific game. So that uh, they know exactly what they're doing in terms of the pitch preparation. It'll be fine. It'll go right down to the fifth day. I, I'm predicting either team will be able to win it in the fifth day. It's going to be really exciting.
2: Good on you, Bryce. A very good summation. This is Stumps, your dedicated weekly cricket show with Damian Watson and Bryce McGain. Up next, we'll chat with Lockie Stevens, the assistant coach of the Melbourne Renegades, heading into season number nine of The Big Bash. Welcome back. You're listening to Stumps, your weekly dedicated cricket show. Damian Watson and Bryce McGain in the chairs this evening. And we're on the cusp of commencing season number nine of the Big Bash, which has grown significantly as a competition since its humble beginnings around the early part of the decade. The Melbourne Renegades are seeking to defend their title and go back to back. They opened their title defence at GMHBA Stadium on Thursday night against the Sydney Thunder. Head to Ticketmaster to secure your seat as Aaron Finch. And his side get their BBL season nine campaign underway. Lockland Stevens is the assistant coach of the Renegades under the helm of head coach Michael Klinger. I'm pleased to say that Lockie Stevens joins us on the line. Thanks for your time, Lockie.
0: Pleasure, guys. How are you going?
2: Yeah, not too bad. How are the preparations faring amongst the Renegades camp ahead of season number nine?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, the guys have mostly come in this week. We're just still waiting on a couple of the international boys, but. Um, uh, pretty much all the domestic players have come in from uh, from Melbourne and other states and uh, had a couple of training sessions under Maxi already and it's uh, gone very well.
3: Lockie, great to be chatting with you. Bryce McGain here and, uh, boy, it's been a whirlwind the last month uh, for you. I believe you've uh, taken on some fatherly duties as much as uh, coaching and coaching Victoria and the head coach goes away and you're looking after the fort, and there's a million things going on. Um, you, you mentioned the, the Renegades really quickly. Uh, who are those international players this year for the team?
0: Uh, look, I don't, I don't know if they've all been finalised yet, Bryce. I know that, um, I know that Richard Gleeson is coming over from Lancashire in one of the bowling spots yep. uh, where, where Shinwari was meant to be coming over, but unfortunately for us, but fortunately for him, he's been selected uh, for Pakistan. Uh, and then Harry Gurney, who uh, who played a, a key role with us last year, is also coming back. Uh, maybe a little bit later in the tournament But will be with us for the remainder of the tournament once he arrives So they're the two guys we're waiting on at this point in time
3: Oh, that's terrific And strengthening uh, the, the, the team, I suppose And you haven't just rested on the laurels, the renegades It's a change of coach, obviously, with Michael Klinger coming in uh, But also some, some good quality recruiting as well
0: Yeah, yeah obviously we, the, the changing coach had to come uh, With, with uh, Ronnie McDonald going up to the Australian team and actually taking the reins uh, and he's been brilliant this week to watch him go about his work so I'm sure he'll fit in and and run the ship nicely and then obviously from a, a recruitment point of view our biggest one is Sean Marsh um yeah he and Finchy get on really well and uh, I think that was a key a key factor in him coming over so it's great to have someone who's been so dominant in big bashes over the years come in and and will lead our way with the bat hopefully
3: now I've alluded to what's been happening in Victorian cricket, the uncharted waters for Victoria in recent times, and probably for the best part of fifteen years. Oh, and six, they find themselves at at the turning point. Uh, obviously, the last game they uh, the game abandoned, they get a few a handful of points for that. But it's been an interesting year because it doesn't seem there's been an opportunity to play some younger guys. But what do you put it down to uh, where they are at the moment, Lockie?
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, Bryce, isn't it? It's shield cricket's the evolution of SEAL cricket is so interesting and I could talk about it for a long time and believe you to tears, but it, it's just so hard. You won't to bore improve. me, don't no, worry. It won't bore us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, and it's just an opinion, it's, everyone has a right to, to talk about what's happening and obviously 0-6 is not where the Victorian side would like to be and it hasn't found itself there for sort of six or seven years. Um, but it, it's such an interesting format in that keeping a team together for a long period of time is very difficult these days. Um, franchise opportunities, players going up to Australian teams and players moving in between states more and more, just means that to settle a Shield side for a long period of time becomes difficult. And whilst it's not an excuse, what I would say is it just shows how amazing the last five years for Victoria has been for that side to be able to do what it's done uh, whilst introducing a few new players, but also keeping a real core group together And watching that, particularly that bowling unit go about its work on on some tracks that that they've really had to work hard on to get 20 wickets has been amazing. So it shows how good that group's been. It shows how impressive uh, chairman and selectors Andrew Lynch has been in in holding that group together and what Ronnie McDonald did and David Saker did and Greg Schipper did with that group to to keep it together for so long is impressive. But as you say, at 0-6, not a great time for us in the season, but there's been a lot happening, as you'd suggest, as we've had... We've had complex issues around players. We've had some mental health stuff. We've had some injuries. We've had selections going up to Australia A-sides and selection in Australian sides. So there's been a lot of moving parts, but it has given us the chance to give opportunity to young players, which has been really exciting from the Victorian point of view, I think.
2: We're speaking with Lockie Stevens here on Stumps, the assistant coach for the Melbourne Renegades. Just on the Gades themselves, has there been any change in the club's approach to the season compared to previous years as you're now considered the hunted or due to the fact that T20 cricket is a constant source of change, does it not matter in terms of what happened the previous season?
0: Yeah, I think that's. I think your point's a good one, Damien, at the end there. I think each season, I, I know that the popular phrase will be, well, can they defend the title? Mm. But I think given it's so different year in, year out, it just becomes a, a new starting point. So everyone starts on zero again. All teams capable of winning matches on their day because all teams have superstars and all teams have... Very good cricketers in amongst their group that can win matches on a day-to-day basis. So it's, I think from my point of view, very much just a start-again type tournament because, you know, new players come in, older players go out uh, or transfer to other sides and that's the nature of the beast. So very much a start again, all on zero points and uh, all trying to reach that final four for a shot at a semi.
3: In terms of, uh, I guess, getting to know you, Lockie, uh, you're very much a behind the scenes sort of guy. Like, you're never taking the accolades. You've left that to Andrew McDonald. He's all over the press. But uh, (laughs) um, you've really been a low key type of coach. Now, tell me about some differences. You obviously have coached WA and the Perth Scorchers. Now you're over in Victoria with the Victorian team, the Renegades. Are there differences? Are there similarities? What do you enjoy more? And what are your aspirations? Because, well, there's a vacant role of Victoria at the moment. Is that something you covered as well?
0: Uh, I, I don't think the, uh, the vacant role of Victoria is for me. It's, it's a, again, it's a question I could ramble on for ages about. But, um, I mean, I got an opportunity in Western Australia to, to head that program after Nicky Arthur left uh, to be the Australian coach. And I really found that, that coming from an assistant coach to a head coach is such a different role. And so I didn't come down to Victoria to be the head coach. I came down to be David Saker's assistant and then uh, Ronnie McDonald coming in, uh, who was just terrific with that group uh, and deserves all the accolades he gets. Um, it's been great being their assistant. So I'm looking forward to, at some stage, handing back the reins to someone who, uh, who can lead that group and trying just to assist them. Um, in terms of pros and cons or differences, look, there are a lot of um, similarities between programs around Australia. Um, that's what I found. Everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses, and we've all got good parts and bad parts, and we all have struggles with the same sort of things, whether it be injuries, Uh, Whether it be form, you know, winning and losing is something that, you know, everyone sees the result, but underneath it all, everyone's sort of trying to solve the same problems. How do you get your opening batsman to start well? How do you get your your opening bowlers to be aggressive and take wickets early? Um, Why is your spinner not holding or why is your spinner not attacking the way you'd like? All those problems come in game after game and all good parts come in after games too. You know, why is your spinner bowling so well? How is your batter doing this job so brilliantly and how do you get him to stay there? So. All programs have similarities, uh, and that's what I've probably noticed the most. Everyone asks about what's different, but what I've noticed is that, that everyone has their challenges and everyone has their strengths.
2: Are you excited, Lockie, about the signings of former Aussie cricketer Sean Tate and also former Melbourne footballer Brad Green to your coaching staff and what they can provide at the Uh Yeah, I
0: think that's terrific, isn't it? You know, coaching is a, uh, an interesting school where every every coach, uh, and Bryce will know this as well, you know, every coach thinks they know an answer, Uh, and have the answer. So it's always really good to get different eyes on things and a different point of view. So, um, you know, Tatey coming on board obviously brings a wealth of playing experiences uh, at the highest level. Um, So it'll be really interesting to hear what he has with the group. Uh, He's come in this week uh, already working with some of the bowls, which has been good to see. And and Brad Green, obviously, uh, you guys would know him better than me from an AFL perspective, but Mm -hmm. obviously was a wonderful, wonderful player and competitor for Melbourne, over the years, and uh, I think he and Maxie know each other quite well. Maxie's love of the Demons is is quite deep, I think. So um, to have someone in like that who's played sport at a really high level who will give us a different perspective, I think that's going to be a good thing as well for both players and staff. No doubt about that. What's the ultimate
3: day for you away from cricket? You obviously Mm -hmm. spent your life so much in in cricket and more recently probably with throwdowns with batsmen and preparing them (laughs) mentally and skill-wise. What's a perfect day for you away from the game?
0: Oh. Feels like I'm on a dating show now, bro. <laughs> um, uh look I am pretty quiet really. Um the boys are always asking me how many M and M's I've eaten on the couch and uh <laughs> and that's probably a start of you know, just, just watching some some good television, some documentaries or uh, you know, just keeping it quiet and like hey I'm I'm too old dude to keep pace with the younger players these days, so Anything that's quiet and anything that removes me from the game, to be honest, anything that clears some some thought space to be able to go back to the job and and then commit to it while I'm there is a good thing.
2: Good stuff. Well done. Lockie, really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show and previewing the season ahead for the Renegades. All the best and good luck for the season.
0: Pleasure, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Go well, Lockie.
2: Good on you, Lucky Stevens, joining us, the assistant coach of the Melbourne Renegades. And don't forget, the Melbourne Renegades opened their title defence at GMHBA Stadium on Thursday night against the Sydney Funder. You can head to Tech to secure your seat as Aaron Finch and the side get their BBL Season 9 campaign underway. We'll take a break here on Stumps. Damien Watson and Bryce McGame with you. and We'll chat with David Hemp, the coach of the Melbourne Stars WBBL side, next. Welcome back. You're listening to Stumps here. Damian Watson and Bryce McGain with you on your dedicated cricket show. Well, we're in the midst of a watershed summer of Australian women's cricket with Season 5 of the WBBL just completed in a standalone summer for that competition along with a home T20 World Cup campaign on the horizon. David Hemp is the head coach of the Melbourne Stars WBBL team and he joins us to reflect on the WBBL season and outline what lies ahead in women's cricket. Thanks very much for your time, David. Uh, no
1: problem, Darren. I hope things are well.
2: Oh, they absolutely are. The Melbourne Stars finished on the bottom of the table with two wins this WBBL season, but you did orchestrate a couple of upsets against the Renegades and, of course, the Perth Scorchers when both were really fervently chasing final spots. How did you analyse the season as a whole from a Stars perspective?
1: Oh, yeah, obviously... Um results wise very 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 disappointing i think we, you can't hide from that uh performance wise as you say there, there were a couple of uh very good performances uh team wins and individual uh performances within those wins uh I'm, look six five or six of those games we found ourselves in really good positions we just couldn't get over the line unfortunately um but but overall um you know two 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 wins was was very disappointing
3: Hebe, you have a, a great group of young girls, and uh, it seemed like you 're really focusing on giving them the best opportunity for the future
1: uh, yeah Bryce. yeah it was a bit of, uh, a bit of that was uh, due to injuries and, and lack of availability We had certainly from the bowling bowling department we we found ourselves in a situation where uh, with people coming into tournament with 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 niggles and with with limited loads that were available so in one hand we, we were forced a little bit but uh, on the other hand, you know, once, certainly once we got uh, six or seven games in uh, when we were in a difficult position to uh, to qualify, we said, well, we're going to give these young players an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, so Annabelle Sutherland, Tess Flintoff, uh, and a girl called Maddie Penner, uh, who's actually mm. from the ACT, uh, from a bowling perspective with three youngsters that, that really impressed.
3: And uh, in in terms of that, this, this really is a, a bright future for the young girls uh, in in Australian cricket And uh, the great opportunity Australia are playing India A at the moment uh, Well that game is just Wrapped up Up in Brisbane And you'll be happy to know yeah. A couple of the Victorian girls Doing particularly well Molly Strano Who is the leading Wicket taker in, in WBBL history she, She'd taken uh, Three wickets And Annabelle Sutherland In the wickets as well
1: Yeah um, Obviously from, our, from a state perspective It's great to see uh, Representation Not just for the main side But also with uh, with the A-team, uh, we have, as you said, Annabelle and Molly there at the moment. Uh, they had a good day today. Annabelle, not so so much with the bat, but it's good to see amongst the, amongst the wickets. Uh, well, that'll be good. So that, that's now set up nicely, obviously, at one all going into the last one before the T20s start next week. I uh, know we have Elise Falani joining that group um, next week for the T20s uh, in preparation for, uh, obviously, for selection for that World Cup coming up in February.
2: Speaking with David Hemp, the head coach of the Melbourne Stars WBBL team. You mentioned that name, Elise Villani, of course, the skipper of the Stars this past season. We see her on TV, very, very knowledgeable and is probably depicted as a lovable larrikin as well. How did you analyse her performance as a skipper and her leadership capabilities?
1: Yeah, again, extremely experienced in terms of a player. Uh, look, a reasonably, well, I say reasonably, probably solid performance. You know, 344 runs across the tournament, uh, big mm. Bash tournament. Strike rate was a little bit uh, under what you'd expect for a player of a capability. So just over 100, about 100, hundred and hundred and two, hundred and three, uh if I remember correctly. So... Look, she, she was. She'll be disappointed with with that return because she's certainly good enough to to push the four the 450 500 mark uh, with about, at a bat, certainly at a better click. So, um, look overall um, from a leadership captaincy, yes, she, she's learning that. She has captain the the Perth Scorchers side at a time. she was really good, really proactive and made some good decisions. But yeah, it's difficult uh, when you're you're under the pump and your side's losing. Uh, it can become quite quite a challenging time. But so you know, in the end, she finished well with the back. Um, she got better, obviously, as the competition went on. Um, but certainly, you know, we're looking forward to her uh, driving her game and everyone else's game forward.
2: How did you analyse the competition itself, David? The WBBL in a standalone slot this summer. Uh, the TV ratings were very good. Indeed, the semi final, the second semi final on the Saturday last week on the secondary TV channel, outrated the Australian Open men's golf tournament on the main channel. So that's a real boon for women's cricket with the T20 World Cup coming up for women's cricket. How do you analyse the growth of the competition and indeed women's cricket in this country?
1: Oh yeah! Look for me. I think it's been fantastic. I think the uh, the, the BBL um, and that initiative by Cricket Australia uh, five years ago now was was the best thing that could have happened. I think uh, from a media perspective there's obviously more interest now, uh, which has been reflected in in the way I think the way the girls are, are playing the game. So they've been challenged because of you know ex players and uh, and um, making comment on how they're playing the game, how they look, etc. I think that's, that's driven the standard, um, w- which has been great. Um, I think you're seeing not just... Uh, the skill level for me has always been there, but I think you now you're seeing a, a higher execution of, the, of that skill level. I think from a batting perspective, you know, the scores uh, are now... Uh, 150 is, is becoming normal, uh, and players are very capable of chasing that and not, give, not feeling the pressure of chasing that, whereas you go back two or three years ago... You got one fifty, you generally win the game. You're not seeing that now, as an example. So, I think the one area for me where I still think the catching isn't quite where it should be. Uh, I think there's too many um, straightforward chances that that, that are missed. But the the ground fielding and the diving stop, the pace on the throws and the batting has certainly seen a a massive shift forward, which is uh, which is great to see.
3: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. The the rising standard all the way through and. I guess it comes down to the, the, the professionalism of the girls and how hard they work, but also the, the teams that work around them and coaches like yourself who are completely dedicated to the growth of others is, is fantastic. What's on the agenda for you now? You, you Captain Victoria – oh, sorry, Coach Victoria now um, with, the, with the state competition. What, what's coming up there? And obviously we know that the World Cup is February, March, so a lot of girls with that on the horizon. But what, what's next on the agenda for you?
1: Yeah, for us, So we we had half the squad back in, uh, I would say half, uh, yeah, it was actually half ten uh, in this week. Uh, We're back to the full complement this week coming, uh, so we get the Cricket Australia players back in, we give them an extra bit of time off, and obviously we've got these 18 players away as well. Uh, so we, we'll practice uh, four sessions this week as a group, uh, and then we get to a 10-day break over Christmas, returning on the 3rd of January for uh, two games against Western Australia on the 7th and 9th at the Junction Oval. So preparation, preparing for that uh, with full strength for, for those two games. And then um, two weeks up after that, uh, down in Tasmania, uh, before we lose the uh, Australian component of players uh, who go into World Cup preparation. So four games for us in, in January uh, and then two more in February. So there's eight WNCR games this year. I'm um, sitting one and one at the moment. So... Uh, certainly these four games in, in, in January are pretty big, and if we can uh, win all those four, that should hopefully set us up nicely for those games in February.
2: David, really appreciate your time on Stumps. All the best for the months ahead, and thanks again.
1: That's brilliant. Thanks so much, Damien. Cheers, Bryce.
2: Thanks, Happy. Good on you. David Hemp, the Melbourne Stars WBBL coach. The always great insight, Bryce. He- great Sight from your good self.
3: It is indeed. Uh, our show wraps up, but Australia um, batting again uh, in the test, and uh, we look forward to what lies ahead.
2: Indeed. Hopefully, we get a nice contest too. This has been Stumps. Damian Watson and Bryce McGame with you.